And we are recording, and if I'm not much mistaken, I think I should press this button, and I might go through to Mr. Dundas. Hang on, let's see. Gordon Dundas? Hello, 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 oh, hello, how are we? Welcome to, here we are, Whiskey Unscripted, and it's episode 10, Gordon, we've reached double figures. How did we get, it's actually episode 11, because we did two episode fives, or sixes. Yeah, I can't no, remember. I, I don't understand so, that. I, I, but anyway, you yeah, know, well, let's just go by episode 11. Uh, 10, 10, <laughs> 10, 10, 10. That's um, episode 10. Double figures, Gordon. It's a, a celebration. Brilliant. I, I'm, unbelievable. I can't believe we've made it. Fantastic. How have you been? What's been happening this week, Mr. Dallas? Very busy with the old virtual tastings for Glen Goyne. So that will be getting rolled out uh, this weekend and for Very every exciting. other weekend. So really exciting. Um, and how does that, how, how does that, how, how will the public be able to get involved in that? Yeah, just go to the Glengoyne website and you'll see it. And then under tastings, virtual tastings, oh. and you can book a, a slot at the weekends for now. Going forwards, it may be, it may be more. And it's a lovely uh, online virtual tasting experience. You get a little uh, tour and it's just good fun. So hopefully, not hopefully, it will all be happening next week. That's great because obviously, like, going, What's well, happening? I mean, I've been busy as well. Just you know, we've got uh, a lot of different things going on. Some trainings into different markets. I'm actually doing a a, a tasting into Miami tomorrow evening from Scotland uh, at six o'clock Miami time. So I'll be up at eleven o'clock doing a whiskey tasting into a retailer in Miami. Um, these are the sort of things that we we need to do. Uh, important to do, and uh, you know, uh, plenty, plenty on. You know, busy, which is great. What is the um, scene in Miami? Obviously, I'm, I'm well, up for going if you ever need a, well, a body. Well, no. but what's the scene well, like for whiskey in Miami? I would think it's kind of hot and beaches. It maybe not. Fit it is. There's a huge. It is. There's a huge blended market. One of the biggest selling whiskies in, in Miami is called Buchanan's, which is really, really popular within the Hispanic community. Um, and it's a it's a blended malt, a blended whiskey. Sorry, um, but single malt is growing. Single malt is growing in certain parts of the state. Um, and in Florida, wider, but obviously in America, wider as well. So, um, yeah, no, there, there's an appreciation of single malt coming through, which is fantastic. But, uh, you know, at the lower end of the market, very much a blend-driven market, um, which is true of a lot of countries. So I think nothing... yeah, that's where Craig David has a little flat. And if I'm not much mistaken, Irvin Welsh uh, lives there as well, has a little flat. So I'm thinking, God, maybe I'll a wee boat hole once, once, I, get the, once I get the raise. To be honest, it's not the first place I would want to have a little boat hole, if I'm mm. honest. Um, I've never been. You gave me the choice to have a boat hole like that of any city in the world. Miami's quite far down the list from Is my it? perspective. Yeah, I used to like rather have one in New Johnson. Rather one in New York or right. in the Alps. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Because they're very similar. You know, I can see how you get that, uh, yeah. how you well, go for both of those. Yeah, no, I mean, I always did think myself as, I mean, Miami has held a, a sort of fascination for me since uh, since the Miami Vice program in the eighties oh, uh, and nineties, never missed Don it. Johnson and and the crocodile on the boat. But um, uh, it, having been there, I, I mean, I like Miami. Don't get me wrong; it's a, it's a nice place. But I, I I would probably choose other places to have a boat hole if I was spending that money. I reckon that's an episode. That's a, it must be a podcast episode. Boat holes, whiskey boat holes. We have to go and uh, yeah. have a little. Weekend away places. I love all Absolutely. that stuff. Gordon, uh, your task every week on Whiskey Unscripted mm -hmm. to just give us a wee roundup of the whiskey news. 
Yeah, no, I mean, there's quite a few things been happening this 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 week, and just to start off, um, interesting just to see, you know, there's a little bit of uh, Jack Daniels have uh, and Brian Foreman have uh, have just reported some 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 results, and they have been affected a little bit by COVID, um, uh, but still doing pretty well. But um, you know that just shows you that the impact is real and the impact is 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 there for whiskey companies big and small uh, add in tariffs and add in other things you know the ch- there's a challenging challenging sort of market out there but we're still the best thing is we're still selling whiskey and we're still we're still there's still a demand for it but uh, yeah that's just a, a little something i picked up on the news uh hague club um you know that famous wonderful single grain i do has um launched a couple of ready RTDs as they're called, uh, ready to drinks. Um, so one is going to be um, called uh, Hague Club Clubman Single Grain Scotch Whiskey mixed with crafted cola. That is uh, interesting. And the These second one, Single Grain Scotch Whiskey mixed with root ginger ale and lime. Right. So, so these, um, these quite... ready to drink things, Gordon. The market yeah. for those will be when you're out and about or picnics. So. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Um, whiskey, uh, ready mix whiskey, and is still something in the UK that needs to be conquered. Um, very popular RTDs in Australia, actually, um, and and as a result of that, I'm going to explain a little bit about that a little bit later on. But um, it's a nice try by Hate Club. I'm sure it'll do well. So good good luck to them. The other thing that caught my eye um, was um, that we have seen a few awards come out this week. Scottish Field. Uh, released some awards of which mm-hmm. Tamdu dominated. I have to say it was oh, great. Um, Dalby Alley Two picked up the best sort of whiskey of the new release style yeah. whiskey. Amazing, although it's quite old. Uh, it's, it's a year old now that release, but no, really, really popular whiskey. And mm. the Tamdu Fifteen did very well in that in that awards as well. Um, and Aldi and Little Whiskies have been picking up some awards um, from the spirit business. Um, uh, right. From the, for their Glen Marnock for Aldi and Brent Brack. Ben Bracken, sorry for little. Uh, you, I also know Highland Gordon, Park did well in those. Gordon, could you explain just for you know for myself and others, um, those malt whiskies at the discount supermarkets? Yeah, these aren't distilleries. No, there is no Glenmarnock Distillery. There is no Ben Bracken Distillery. Mm-hmm. These are whiskies which have been created. They're brands that have been created. It's still single malt because they are the product of one distillery, but they do not tell you obviously which distillery it is. They produce their whiskies as brands um, and they'll buy the whiskey okay so why would a distillery do that gordon is it just for 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 money or because you wouldn't want people knowing i would i would imagine no they'll they'll be into the contract that will sell you some whiskey but you don't name who it is and you don't name who you buy it from and there's a lot of that goes on in the industry right um because we as we know and we've talked about a lot on here whiskey moves around the industry whether that's single malt to other yeah, we bottle it on behalf or do it in bulk or whatever. People do this, and that, and and that's how it happens. And you know, it, it it's all great because it widens out the market for whiskey. So mm, yeah. I really think it's a great idea. So yeah, fantastic. Yeah, okay, so, okay, that's good. Sorry, I just was interested. Carry on, Gordon, and that. No, that's me finished. That that and that is the news. Um, Gordon, we've got a special guest joining us. Quite a, we do. an important lady within our company of E McLeod Distillers. We do, we do. We're going to speak to Katie McKenna, or should I say Katie Muggeridge? Yes. Oh, I can't believe married recently. Um, Katie is the brand manager for 
Glengoyne and Rosebank. And we're going to ask her some of those questions in the insider's guide to whiskey marketing and whiskey brand management. Things like, what does she actually do? And all that type of thing. So she'll be coming on. But in a lead into that, you have found a great year that changed whiskey, haven't you? Oh, absolutely. It's very important for whiskey to be enshrined in law. And the last big law change we had was in 2009. But to go right back, one of, one of the first and most important laws came in 1853. And this was the year that changed whiskey. This was the year that single malts could be blended together and legally accepted as a whiskey. And the first people, because prior to that, it was just single malts mm. sold without a brand to bars that would just sell it as whiskey. 1853, the first whiskey entrepreneur, in fact, really the founding father, you could say, of Scotch whiskey, eh, Andrew Usher, senior, took advantage of this law. He had a wonderful relationship with Glenn Livett. In fact, in 1844, mm. he tried to sell it as a single malt in London. There's an advert in the London Times. It never took off. This law in 1853 said you could now mix malts together and produce still to be called uh, whiskey. Usher did this, and he produced Old Vatted Glenlivet, the first branded whiskey really in the world, certainly the first branded whiskey in Scotland. And with the blending process, mixing malts together, he could recreate that flavour. Single malts, you get different styles, but he could recreate that flavour from uh, blending his malt whiskies. And Old Vatted Glenlivet went on, of course, to be one of the great malt whiskies of the 19th century. So, 1853. Sorry, that was the first blended malt, effectively. Yes. They were doing it probably in bars because they were just mixing into a a Salera system, Mm. but it wasn't branded and it wasn't really legal. Now, it was enshrined by law. You could mix whiskies together and call it a blended malt, uh, a a whiskey. So, yeah, 1853, Gordon, the year it changed whiskey, we would not have brands without that law. Very interesting, very interesting. Talking of brands... Mm -hmm. Talking of brands, we're going to welcome on to the show Katie Muggeridge, who is our brand manager for the wonderful Glengoyne and the wonderful Rosebank Distillery. And welcome, Katie. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Welcome, Katie. Gosh, Katie's got her broadcast voice on today. (laughs) Well, as I mean, unscripted, but very professional in tone is what I was briefed for this podcast. Absolutely, she got my memo. She got my. Who, who, who told you that? <laughs> Thank Great you. Great to have you on. Carry yeah. on. No, no, you say welcome. This is the section we like to call the insider's guide to the making and selling of whiskey. And I'm just saying, Gordon, Ooh. many many people come to Glengoyne. They see the process. They see the maturation. They don't mm-hmm. see the next part. And this is what I'm hoping Katie might shine a spotlight on. Is exactly what do you do, Katie? What do I do? So, um. <laughs> Brand management is a lot like marketing, but it's a bit wider than that, and particularly in in whiskey. So brand management comes in right at the very beginning from working on training, understanding what the product is. We're responsible for trying to connect with the consumer and the drinkers and the people who are actually going to, you know, drink the product. We're also responsible for looking at stocks. And I know that you've previously had on Emma Newton, who works with John Glass um, as a malt master and looking at all of our stocks. Well, 
we have to then put a strategy on that that looks about when are we actually going to sell that going forward 10 even 20 years into the future so really brand management covers the full spectrum of everything that you need when you're taking um, a bottle of whiskey out into the world well thanks for coming on katie (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing i mean you know i think the key thing is i i you know i've worked with katie for uh, many years and I understand the, the ins and outs of it of course but uh, I think the, the key point is here is whiskey whiskey's very different to brand management and a lot of other products because, you know it while it's still considered an FMCG product which is a fast-moving consumer good what the, the thing that, that term well yeah well exactly so we can explain that but it, it has this longevity of production that, that, that a lot of other products don't have, which brings in a really different element. Is that not right, Katie? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the long-term planning, you know, in, in other FMCG categories, Gordon. You really, you're talking about three-year cycles. and whiskey, we're planning for 20 years, but also beyond that. And I think what, what's really exciting for me in the industry is that as a brand manager, I get to feed into planning for 20 years in the future, even with you know what casks we're laying down now. So it's really exciting to be able to get involved in, in every single part of it with whiskey. Now, what, what we've asked Sean, the Cooper at Tamdu, Sandy as well, and Emma was, what's a typical day? This is the Insider's Guide. What does a brand manager do when you roll up into the office? Take us through what would be a sample day. Well, first of all, Gordon, Gordon, I'm going to annoy you by saying there's absolutely no typical day. Mm. But <laughs> what I will tell you is, is some of the main things working on. So what we absolutely need to be doing all the time is communicating. Brands need to make sure that we're relevant and we're doing exciting things that are going to be noticed by the people who want to drink it. So that involves um, social media. So obviously, you know, we're on Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, we're also, we've even got a podcast. So all of that communication spectrum, um, we would be making sure that we've got the right pictures for posting, that everything we're saying is right, that we've filmed the right videos. So communications is a really, really big part of it. Another big part of what a typical day would look like is, is working really closely with our distributors. And those are the companies who we work with in all of our international markets to sell the product. So we work with them to make sure that we've got a plan that's right for, say, Germany or the US, because obviously they're not going to be exactly the same. So that would be another big part. And then I think not a single day goes by without us looking again at what our stock levels are and how the market is changing. And particularly, you know, at the moment we're in very, very unusual times. So as a brand manager, it's my responsibility to make sure that I'm at the forefront of knowledge of what's happening with how people are shopping, how online retail is changing. So whilst there's no typical day, hopefully that gives you a bit of a view and then once a fortnight i am lucky enough to visit our distilleries um as well so that is a particularly interesting part of the job to get right back and connected with the product every fortnight if not more speaking speaking of being connected with the product um um, and speaking of um you know being being at one with the product katie i would hope (laughs) that you have a dram in your in your glass 
Jordan, I wouldn't pick up the phone to you without a dram in my glass. Oh, you were on the phone to me nine o'clock this morning. That's a bit of a worry. Well, absolutely. What are you drinking? So I am drinking one of my very, very favourite Glengoynes, and it is the Cask Strength Batch 7. The 007. The 007, indeed. Indeed. That is a belt. That is a cracker. It is. I absolutely love it i think i mean it is still quite early in the day we're recording this about two o'clock but it's for me it represents some of the perfect balance of glen goyne you know with mm-hmm. we've got the slowest distillation which gives us this really fruity house style and with i think about 60 percent of this one is refill cast and that really comes through but also we've got some bourbon and first fill sherry in this one so that is just a dream combination for me and the question is, Katie, water or not to water? So I would, for this one, add a couple of drops. What I tend to do is, and it's personal taste again, like everything, I normally add a little splash of water to some younger Glengoins, but when we get to 18-year-old and above, I wouldn't put water anywhere near it. But as I say, that's personal preference. Gordon, what have you got? Well, I actually... I felt because Katie was coming on, um, I've actually got a little bit of Katie's other distillery, which we'll come to talk on. I've got a little bit of 12-year-old flora and fauna, um, which um, I've managed to somehow... Katie has all the bottles under lock and key, but uh, I somehow managed to get 10 millilitres in the bottom of a bottle home one day, and I've decided, because Katie's coming on, I'm going to drink that. You see, Katie, Um, I've been been trying to get Gordon Dundas's flat for weeks. It must be a cornucopia of whiskey in there. I know, and everything he says he has a dribble of as well, so yeah. very suspicious. Very suspicious. Like, you, there's not enough for anyone else, I think. So, no, well, exactly. Well, I knew you were coming on as well, and I've just got a lovely Glengoyne 10-year-old, which I oh, think beautiful. is a lovely whiskey, really refreshing. Uh, 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 yeah, so sl- salute and slangeva to you all. Yeah, slangeva. Slangeva. So... I'm I'm intrigued to ask you, Katie. Obviously, with Glengoyne, Glengoyne, 1833, very very famous distillery, quite small, but but perfectly formed, as I I like to describe it. And and obviously, as a distillery, it it, it has some really unique characteristics. And as a brand manager, these are the things that you want to communicate, you want to highlight in a way that's relevant to the consumer. And I guess that's one of the biggest challenges of being a brand manager. It is. I would say one of the biggest both blessings and challenges with whiskey is that there are so many stories to tell. As you said, 1833, we've got amazing history. We've got amazing characters all the way throughout that period. We've also got great products, interesting production processes, and then we're into a whole new world now of sustainability. And there's, you know, lots and lots of stories to tell within that as well. So I think our challenge as a kind of brand manager is to find the key point that incorporates all the great fantastic things and stories of the brand into kind of one singular thing that it stands for and of course as you said Gordon it's really important we are understanding that that is appealing to the consumer so there's a kind of sweet spot in the middle where we look at what the brand is and that's based on absolute fact and what the consumer is looking for and we look for that sweet spot in the middle, and that's where everything starts for us. And I think that's really important because what you find, and I've seen many times in the past, is that a, a, a brand will create a product or a, 
a whiskey will be created or a whatever will be created without actually fully understanding who, who the consumer is for that product. Um, and, and I've seen it happen a few times that the product doesn't work. And it's not really down to the lack of the product. It's the communication of that product to the correct audience. That's the key point. Absolutely. And I think for some one of the challenges is that we get very excited ourselves about the product, but you actually have to be quite selfless and take yourself out of the equation and think in the mind of the consumer at all times. And that's one of the most challenging things um, for, for yeah. our roles. Well, I've, I've, I've come up with a challenge. Okay, oh, go a, on. He loves a challenge. I've come up with a challenge. Um, Katie, obviously there's some wonderful single malts out there, and um, I've come up with a sort of guess the tagline challenge. Um, oh, my goodness. Well, say that again, Gordon. I wish I had some music. <laughs> so, Katie, are you ready for the whiskey marketing tagline challenge? Why not? Bring it on. <laughs> okay, excellent. We're going to start off with... Um, so these have been picked off certain websites of certain distilleries. I want you to try and guess which whiskies these relate to. Obviously, you'll have your finger on the pulse, I would imagine. Hope so. Okay. <laughs> Made by the sea. Talisker. Wow! Boom. Ooh. Boom. Okay, next one. Spirit of the Lowlands. Ockentoshan? No. No. Blankenji. Blankenji? Oh, my goodness. Spirit I've gone completely blank. Of the Lowlands. So there's 15 I'm distilleries blank, in the Lowlands, right? 15 distilleries in the Lowlands. 15 in the Lowlands? Yep. Owned by an Australian. Down in Dumfries. Bladnoch. Bladnoch. Bladnoch, yes. Okay, here's another one. This is this is a classic campaign. It was just called... Now, is this a current line, or is this a historical one, Gordon? It's, it's from a few years ago, but it was simply... Shh, as in be quiet. We're too young for this, Katie, I think. That's, 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 that's the problem. I was tempted to say Schweppes, but something Speyside. Spey. Yeah, absolutely. Spey whiskey, yeah. So they Spey had a campaign whiskey. with uh, ah, Michael, Michael thanks, Owen, Gordon. the footballer. Oh. And it was like, yes. I think it was the best kept, best kept secret type sort of position. Spey. That's probably um, why I've not heard of it then. Well, <laughs> Nobody talked. <laughs> um, here's another one. A whiskey of legendary depth and finesse. Now, that's quite, um, that's quite a, a bold, bold claim, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Right, well, it's, not, it's going to be one of the big ones I'm going to say. But it's not Glen Fiddick. It's not Glen Livett. Take a punt at some clue. of the older ones. Narrow it down. Um, Highland Sherry Cap. Glendronach? No. Slightly further north of Inverness. <laughs> Dalmore. Dalmore. Oh. <laughs> it's actually Dalmore. Sorry, Kate, that should be helping you out. Blame Dalmore. It Blame it on the Friday. My goodness. Um, okay, one or two more. Born and raised in the city. Ockentoshan. Yes. Yeah, very well interesting done. different position in terms of you know what it's saying about itself very um, urban very urban um, another easy one opinions welcome lafroy lafroy nice. yeah and that's very much in that sort of polarizing style so it takes that tell us what you think type position. fantastic campaign love that very cap very very good campaign um 100 yeah. malt whiskey made for mixing 
Monkey Shoulder. Monkey Shoulder. Nice. Monkey Shoulder. One or two others um, from grain to glass. Oh, I can picture it. It's not Balvenie, no. No, it's quite Balvenie sort of starts. Actually, Glenn Farkas has got that on their website. Grain to glass, I suppose it's... uh, It says it on the tin. Now, I want to tell you a story about what I'm going to say. This is a campaign that came... This is probably relevant about 12, 15 years ago. And it was was this brand and underneath it just said, best spirit in the world. (laughs) Um, Because they'd won a... They'd won a... uh, uh, an awards from a gentleman called Paul Packout who did the World Spirit Awards and they won the best spirit in the world was Highland Park. Highland Park 18. Highland Park 18 back in the sort of mid noughties. Now what was really interesting about this campaign and it, it's how I think it's really how campaigns can really come to life for the consumer was what they decided to do and I actually worked in it a little uh, Jason who's the Jason Craig who's the band director was um, they, they came to Whiskey Live in Glasgow and they said, well, we are the best spirit in the world, so what we will do is we will swap a spirit that you bring to the show for a bottle of the best spirit in the world. So they gave, they effectively took in bottles of Esco gin and bottles of other spirits and swapped it for an 18-year-old because it was the best spirit in the world, which I thought was a really nice way of activating that. Yeah. So very that was, generous. So that's just a little, yeah, very generous, but a really nice way of doing it. That was, oh. So that's um, just a bit of fun of running through one or two of the oh. uh, one or two of the brands. It's quite, Trump's quite tricky actually, Katie. Is there anything that stands out in recent memory, campaign-wise, that either we've done or that you've seen done by others? Campaign-wise, maybe not so much, but I'm thinking of what springs to mind actually is Ardbeg and particularly their um, limited releases and the way they announced them. I'm thinking specifically with, you know, obviously the release one each year for the Faye, Faye And I think what I love about Ardbeg's style is that they're massively into storytelling through their products and they really kind of capture the imagination. You know, this year it was like the Flock of Geese. I think last year it was the kind of reggae style one with the rum finish. And they really like go hard in bringing it to life with the kind of the imagery and what the packaging looks like. So they definitely stand out for me in kind of keeping the bar high and in, in their new products. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think there's other brands that do that very well as well. I think Brookladdy do it very well. Brookladdy um, was another one that was going to say absolutely. Um, yeah, really respect them. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know all these, you know these brands that have that sort of following as well. Springbank. What I yeah. love about Springbank is it has this beautiful, very dedicated following. It basically sells everything it produces and. Um, you know, it doesn't invest too heavily in packaging. It's all about the whiskey. It's a really nice position to be in. Yeah, the other nice thing about Springbank, actually, is the kind of locality of it and how much it's all about Campbelltown. And, you know, the people who work for Springbank are, you know, live in Campbelltown. And, and it's really, their location is at their core. So it's really, really nice. Um, but, yeah, and Brookladdy, Brookladdy, as you say, Gordon, it's another one. Brookladdy stand out for me as the original disruptor. You know, they released a turquoise-coloured bottle in a time when no one else would have dreamt of doing that. They've got, you know, three brands under the one distillery, Port Charlotte, Optimore and Brookladdy. And, you know, for me, those are kind of big, bold steps and really show a confident brand. So definitely another one I respect massively. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I also also see, you see a lot of brands move their position as well in terms of trying to target specific people. So 
we've just mentioned Okotosh, and that's a prime example of a brand that's really focused more on that urban style. Because of its location, its, its style of whiskey uh, lends itself to mixability. Uh, and it just shows you that it's a, there's a lot that can be done in terms of the positioning of a brand in, in, in Singapore. Yeah, and as we talked about earlier with them, that's where it comes down to what the consumer target is. So Okotosh are obviously talk, talking to a very different consumer than Springbank Park. Yeah. And that's where that all starts to kind of play out. So what is then, Katie, what is the Glengoyne consumer? If you, if you were to try and sum it up briefly, how would you summarise a Glengoyne consumer in the world and the landscape of single malt? So the Glengoyne consumer is someone who has been drinking single malt, has discovered single malt, and has probably been drinking um, kind of a few of the bigger brands for a few years. And they're at the point where they've got a decent amount of knowledge and they're looking for something else. They're looking to discover something a little bit more niche, a little bit more small. Um, they're starting to understand the whiskey production process so they kind of get the value of, of good wood. And with Glengoyne being, you know, we are a small distillery, so we've got limited output. These, the people we're talking to, are you know whiskey is a lifestyle for them so these are people who would spend time going on distillery tours and coming to the whiskey shows of the world so really it's not just a passive consumption of a product they're actively involved and interested in knowing as much as they possibly can about the whiskey in their glass yeah and glengoyne has so many layers it can talk about which is great as a lot of, of distilleries do you know a lot of them have great histories and great people and but there's, there's, there's so many stories and so many interesting things for, you know, I, I love talking about Glengoyne because it's full of just fantastic sort of little bits of information that just add to the overall feel of the brand, which is really important. Absolutely. And all those stories are so important and they play, you know, really strong roles both on the packaging and when you come on a tour at the distillery and if you follow our Facebook page. So at every, what we try and make sure is at every point of the brand, so every point you can interact with the brand, you're going to get those layers and understand the history and the people that, that make it what it is. Yeah, no, and I think the, the teapot dram, obviously, for whiskey we all love, but again, one of those wonderful stories about the old days of dramming. Um, and Absolutely. it just adds fabric to the brand. Yeah, completely. Uh, music in the background, Gordon, means <coughs> we're on to the A to Zs of Scotch whiskey, and the letter, it's a toughie, is Jai this week it, oh it's a toughie it is a toughie um <laughs> i mean it's you know i have yeah it's a toughie um and i've i have scoured the depths of my whiskey knowledge so that took about two minutes and um, <laughs> i couldn't find a j does anybody have a j that relates to whiskey production anything to do with whiskey making I think I might have one, Gordon. Oh. Oh. So my J is going to be the Joe, and the Joe being the beer that you get at the end of fermentation, which ah, yes. is kind of commonly called the Joe. Yes. Ah. Or wash. But that's the right. Wash is the technical term. Joe is what we like to call it. Right. So that's a Glengoynism, is it? That's brilliant. Um, I'll, t I'll take uh, Jay. Um, obviously, historically, very quickly, James the Fourth. We've mentioned them on other podcasts. The first written reference to the water of life, aquavitae, being produced from malted barley. 
of which is uh, our industry relies upon is Scotch malt whiskey, and that was 1494. For, uh, so that was the wow. first written evidence it was happening. So really, the modern story that we're talking about today starts its journey round about 1494. So there's a jai, Gordon. That's fantastic. Well, I've, I have scoured it, and I, I'm trying to not... The only place I can go to is some of the biggest brands in the world. Um, so I'm going to give you... In fact, probably one of the biggest, uh, well, the biggest Scotch whiskey brand in the world, Johnny Walker. Yes. Johnny Walker sells. So I want to put this in the context of a bit of sales. It's a it's a blended whiskey. It sells double the amount of cases than the next biggest distillery. Uh, next biggest product. Sorry, should I say, 19 million cases worldwide. Johnny Walker. That's quite incredible. Um, so a case is 12 bottles. So there you know that that is quite a lot of bottles of Johnny Walker each year. Um, so that's one of the biggest selling products. And, and just can I just ask Katie a question there as well. One of my favourite campaigns was, or adverts, was for Johnny Walker. And it was Robert Carlyle doing the, the talk through of Johnny Walker's history. Have any of you seen that one? Yes, I know the one you mean. That's great. If, it really is wonderful. Filmed, I believe, behind Tom Lewis's uh, hotel at Monocle Moor. Yeah. He was ah, up there. Yeah, I think Tom host, hosted them that day of filming. But that was a wonderful, yeah, wonderful ah. advert. Yeah, yeah Johnny Walker. Yeah, I've, never, I've never seen it. I'm going to look it up. Jo oh. So Johnny Walker, huge selling Scotch, one of the biggest selling products around the world. Um, and then if you went into, kept going down that list, you'd reach number five of blended Scotch, which is past Valentine, Chivas and Grant. And you would get to J&B, which is a very famous... Ah. Very famous old whiskey brand sells 3.5 million cases, so the fifth biggest blended Scott. Um, and then I thought we'd take you over to Ireland. Ireland, Jameson's. Yes. Mm, yes. Really drives the Irish whiskey category. Very unique style and taste, triple distilled, etc., etc. 8.5 million cases. Um, so a significant player in the world of whiskey. Um, uh, but that's a, and really dominates the Irish whiskey category. And then finally, let's go over to America, and we get to Jack Daniels. Mm, Jack yes. Daniels is obviously, funny enough, for those out there who, to Tennessee whiskey, is a bourbon as well if they want to be a bourbon, but they don't, so they're a Tennessee whiskey. Thirteen point three million cases a year, <laughs> closely followed, and being currently by rate of sale being actual, by Jim Beam. So Jim Beam, 9.7 million cases. So you can see the scale of those two brands is huge. Um, and so huge, huge, you know, bourbon products as well. And the combined Jim Beam, Jack Daniels total is more than John Walker, but shows you how powerful they are. Um, and just to sort of finish, um, although it's not a J, it's a K, but that was last week. Um, no, that's next week, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> How many whiskey? How, how, how many of those um, whiskies have you had, Gordon? I don't you know. Sorry, uh, <laughs> it is a Kakubin, which is a, a, a Japanese whiskey. They sell five million cases in Japan. Wow. So there's some really big, big, big numbers around a lot of the J's. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much where we are. And just to put all those figures into context, Glenfiddich, the number one selling single malt, sells about 1.2 to 1.3 million cases. So. 
you know, way, way, way less than a lot of the figures we've just Well, I'd just like to put a full stop in Scotland. Can we just finish with Judah? Oh. Something we talked about in the past with the KLF famously uh, burned a million pound in 1994. Uh, the distillery was designed by a very famous architect called the Charles Doig of the 20th century, William Delmy Evans, who designed Tully Bardin as well. And George Jolwell wrote 1984, What an Island, along with that distillery. There, there we go. Fantastic. Fantastic. That's a lovely Any other listen. J's around? Was that us done the J's? I, think we've I done don't the think I've got any more, Gordon. Okay, it was a tough one. It was a tough one. So, Katie, coming back to sort of the whiskey market as a whole, is there any brands out there that we've obviously spoken about a few, but is there any brands or is there any sort of thing that you think in whiskey that that, that that we're missing a trick do you as a brand manager think oh i wish we could if, if we obviously have rules which determine how we how we how we make our products and, and they're fairly strict and and, and they are correct but is there anything that you think oh i'd love to try and do something like this or something like that maybe not with your brands currently or with is there anything you as a marketeer would go i'd love to do well, I do. I know it's a bit of a controversial topic, but I do also think that there is recent relaxing in maturation guidelines with, you know, how what, what we can mature um, whiskey in. So it includes now Calvados casks and tequila casks, and mm-hmm. I think there's a there's a really interesting like careful balance that needs to be struck between protecting what Scotch is, um, but allowing for experimentation and innovation. So. I think for me, it'd be really interesting to do take a bit of a focus on experimenting on, on diff- wider cast sites. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think overall, it, for me, it would be a bit more of a gradual shift that has been happening, which is about actually just leaving behind those kind of preconceptions that whiskey must be drank in a particular way straight in your mm-hmm. house, you know. I actually think, and I think brands are doing this, so I don't feel like it's missing a trick as such, but I feel like a continuation into widening what the serves can be and embracing cocktail culture and pairings in a much bigger way, but also working to make whiskey much more lively, which, you know, we all know that buzz you get when you go to a whiskey show. It's kind of capturing that excitement. Um, so I guess it's a little bit about bringing it forward into continuing to bring it forward into our modern world, but just kind of leaving that stuffiness behind and res- absolutely respecting what it is and respecting its history, heritage, and its craft, mm. but bringing it forward into modern day with how we actually appreciate and enjoy it. That would be really it for me. I think that's a very interesting point there, Katie, because if you look historically in the 1980s, and Gordon, you can back me up, whiskey sort of put itself into the corner of the old man's drink and all yeah. the kids all that excitement you're talking about they were off to find other clear spirits and whiskey get sort of left behind and tagged has been quite dull and i'm delighted to hear you're saying that katie if that's where the industry's heading yeah the other thing that for me is crucially important as as you both know is sustainability and i think the whiskey industry has worked incredibly well on like a production level to make sure that we are being responsible and protecting our beautiful landscapes but but something that has to come to the forefront of the agenda is packaging and local sourcing you know recyclability but beyond that second use you know i think we have a, a big big duty um, to make sure we, we know 
whiskey is what it is because we produce it in the most beautiful locations around Scotland, right? Mm. We need to do everything we can to protect that. So that is a shift that needs to happen as soon as possible. We are working very hard on it with Glengoyne and at Ian McLeod Distillers, but we need to really escalate that and protect protect our environment. And it's only something that's going to become more and more important um, as we go forward. So I totally agree. The other thing, the other thing that I think is really, really interesting, and it's a debate that I think, is it a debate? I think it probably is a debate. I think the key thing is here is there's two main things that I think Scotch whiskey can do better, uh, and I'm, is attracting new drinkers, which I think we're doing better than we were five years ago, but we're certainly not doing as well as other spirits. And the other category, which is the fastest growing category now in whiskey, which is great, is ladies and women. And having more and more women, whiskey is for everyone. And whiskey is, and that's a really, really strong approach. We've seen Becky and and, and, and people doing art and, and those types of um, uh, key sort of drivers to, to say, this is not, a, this is this is everybody's drink. That's a really big area for whiskey going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's an interesting one because we do talk a lot about, you know, ladies and, and women getting more into the industry but really for me it's just it's as simple as not making it gender specific at all and actually it's just bringing it to a much wider audience and you know really selling it based on flavor and based on experience because Mm -hmm. those attributes are interesting to everybody regardless of you know who you are and actually we've taken that a bit of a level further with from a marketing perspective in that we now aren't profiling our consumer based on demographics based on their age based on their gender we actually now target our consumers based on their values and their mindset so you know you know the old saying it's a mindset not an age that is absolutely the case you notice when i talked about our consumer i didn't mention age or gender once and for me that's the important thing it's Mm. about the wider audience and everyone can get involved absolutely that is very interesting that is very interesting and i think that's a really strong way of looking at it and i agree with you i think i think you need to be strong intrinsic to your brand and that's what you drive forward and but it's how you communicate to those various people within that using those brand intrinsics is really really important i you know i i I, that's a really really important uh, important way for the for the industry to move forward and become even better than it has in the last five years which well, it's a great place to, to maybe stop it there just now, but before Katie goes, Katie, we've got a new feature, and I wonder if you could kick it off for us. Uh, it's the whiskey moments. It's really when time stands still, when you have a whiskey or you visit a distillery, the world can go to pot. You don't care about it. You're just enjoying the moment. I know I'm putting you on your spot, and we've got Derek Mather of The Artisan going to tell us his whiskey moment. But can you, in your memory, troll a moment when... Everything just stopped and you were just enjoying that whiskey or that visit to the distillery. I will, Gordon, and I hope you'll forgive me, but I'm going to go a little bit cheesy here. And I'm going to Mm -hmm. go back to my wedding day, which was in August last year, where at the end of the meal, we gave all our guests a dram of um, Glengoyne 18-year-old. And we enjoyed that at the end of our wedding night, that being... um, my husband's favorite dram and obviously one of mine as well as the cast strength that i'm enjoying now so whiskey moments for me ha- are you know they're a crucial part of them are special occasions and you know what's more special than your wedding day that is a fantastic way to kick us off in our whiskey moments well katie muggeridge thank you very much for joining us 
Katie, thank you thank very you. much for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been insightful. Thank you for uh, for, um, for for showing us all all that marketing insight, and 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 also, of course, love the fact that you've been you've been involved with Glengoyne for a long, long time, of course. March 2011, I think it was. Yep, started life like Emma um, as a tour guide at Glengoyne. So um, many fond memories of, of the whole time working for the brand. Oh, that's nine years. That's incredible. Fantastic. Thank Stay you, Katie. Great. Thank you. So that was Katie. Why wow, wasn't that wonderful, Gordon? It is. It's really, you know, getting access to people that you would not normally uh, have access to. A brand manager. Great. What do they do? What You know, how the landscape for whiskey is looking it's just a, a wonderful you know yeah. looking under the surface of uh, selling whiskey and that's the advantage of being a producer and being able to do these things is giving you those insights so we hope you've enjoyed them so now you have been now you have been speaking with I a i have been to this gentleman's restaurant and it is a fantastic place to go it's the artisan in Wishaw, and ah. i phoned up derek mather and we just said as you've heard Katie there, we just want to hear people's whiskey moments. And we've got a couple coming in on the emails, we'll read them out next week. Just when time stands still. So it is a, a, an amazing, I've not been yet Gordon, it is an, a, he's got over 3,000 whiskies in the gantry. It's surprising there's actually any places to sit down and eat this so much whiskey. But it's, he's a huge, I know he's a huge Buchladdy fan. Um, but he's a he's a wonderful, great great guy, and I, I hope he gets his restaurant open as soon as possible, so that great. we can all go back and enjoy his wonderful fare and his hospitality. And this will be a running feature. People within the industry and outside um, talking about their whiskey moments. Derek Mather from the Artisan. Hi all. My name's Derek Mather. I've got Artisan Restaurant in Wishaw. Um, I suppose whiskey moments for me always. I always go back in my memory of my very first whiskey moment, which was with my dad, who caught me pilfering his whiskey out of the whiskey cabinet. So my introduction to malt was a bottle of Glenlivet 12-year-old, which my dad bought me, handed to me, and said, when you finish that, you're on your own, you can buy your own, stop drinking mine. So that, that was my introduction to the malt world, um, or whiskey world, I should say. Um, my dad wasn't a big one for blends, so it was always a couple of bottles of malt that was in his in his drinks cabinet, which I think I actually replaced one with cold tea, um, which I found out about, and so did my dad. Um, but that was really my first moment of the whiskey world, um, and I've carried on since then. Other things, I used to work in other Scottish restaurants, and I was always annoyed with the selection of malts that, you, that was offered to you, which was probably about between six and eight malts that you could buy in the supermarket. And that was, their, that was a range that they would offer their customers. Um, when I opened Artisan 13 years ago, I had 60 malts in my collection, which I put behind the bar, um, which proved very popular. We've now been here 13 years, and we now have uh, 3,500 whiskies on the bar. Um, so if I can't find a whiskey that you don't like, maybe don't try whiskey. <laughs> I'll I'll send you on to gin or vodka. Um, I think I only have one bottle of vodka to be honest. Um, plenty of gins because a lot of the Scottish distilleries are now doing gins as well. So um, always something interesting for the the gin drinkers rather than the whiskey drinkers. And basically, we just like seeing a lot of people coming into the restaurant, enjoying the whiskies, having a wee chat about them. Um, makes the day go quicker when I'm not in the kitchen cooking. I remember the first distillery I went to, which was Brewer I, I held out because. 
obviously I'm a, I'm a big Brooklady collector. And the first, the very first distillery I ever visited, as I said, was Brooklady. And it was a, a gentleman called Duncan McGilvery, who sadly is now no longer with us. Um, Mary McGregor, who runs the shop, was very busy and I'd just turned up on the off chance. And Mary was like, I can't even give you a tour. Um, we're, we're that busy. And Duncan was walking across the shop floor. Um, so Mary grabbed Duncan and goes, Duncan, this is Derek from Atlas. And he goes, oh, I've heard all about you, Derek, especially Brooklady and all your whiskies. Come on, let's go a wee tour. So this was at 11 o'clock in the morning. They found us at half past five in the evening behind casks up at Warehouse 14 uh, <laughs> as they were locking up. <laughs> Must say it was a very good tour from what I can remember. Um, the next day wasn't so good. It's these things that, that stick out in my memory that make the whiskey world what it is. They're so friendly. They all try and please you. Like myself, I'm all trying to please the customers, try to find them a dram that they would like, something different. Um, same with any of the whiskey bars and whiskey restaurants that you go to, like the Pot Still, the Bon Accord, Ben Nevis in Glasgow. They're all cracking bars and they all go out their way to try and please the customer because that's our bread and butter. If you look after them, they're more likely going to come back. Um, I really enjoy a bottle of any 12-year-old, so does, my, so does Fiona, my wife. Um, that's probably the, the dram that she started off her whiskey drumming on. She prefers her space sides and highlands. Myself. Um, really, really, my favourite dram is uh, Optimal Orpheus. I like my pity drams. I also like my sherry drams. Um, and I also like weird and wonderful ones like port cask finish or port pipes, sherry. One dram that I really couldn't get my head round was the, the flocky from abroad, where the one that was um, filtered through sheep dung. Just, just couldn't do it. <laughs> um, just didn't appeal to me, to be quite honest. <laughs> Possibly. If, if somebody's in the restaurant looking for something different, um, I would probably steer them in the direction of an independent bottler. Because sometimes independent bottlers have something a wee bit different, a wee bit out there, and it's a different taste profile. Um, they might have had distillery-owned bottlings, or like, I, I, sometimes I'll, I'll direct them towards a handful as well. Um, we've got loads of um, Auchentosh and Glengoyne handfuls, and we can't keep up with them. They get tanked on a regular basis. The sherry uh, Glengoyne's go down a treat. Um, the last one that we got was actually a bourbon one, and it lasted about two days because it was something different from Glengoyne. But possibly a handful or something from, a, from an indie bottler, just to make it a wee bit different for them. And that was Derek. Um, we'll have to get down there, Gordon, sometime when it all, uh, all opens up. Oh, amazing. Yeah, absolutely. That would be great. And uh, great to hear from Derek. Um, so, Gordon, I am, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm being honest with you. I'm on holiday next week. I, I, Good for you. I don't know what else I'm going to do apart from kick around the house, but um, I, I am on holiday next week. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, the podcast continues, Gordon, because we have done a little bit of recording, so we will be we will be talking next week and we will put out a show. Oh, there will always put out a show. We will be putting out a show. <laughs> But again, I think it was a great, great chat with Katie. Great to hear from Derek. And uh, good to always hear from you, Mr. Dallas. That's it. I'm going to have a raise a little toast to yourself, Gordon. Finish off this lovely Glengoyne 10. So, Slanjava, thank you very much for listening. And, Gordon, enjoy the holiday. I will. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Cue the drums. <laughs>